Welcome to Hope from the Frontlines. Each week, we peek beyond the headlines, finding stories of struggle, passion, and strength from essential caregivers of color doing the heavy lift, protecting Chicago's most vulnerable during this COVID-19 pandemic. In this episode, a home caregiver in Waukegan lost shifts, money, and her sense of security after contracting COVID-19, most likely while on the job. <laughs> I'm just like, how in the hell do you send somebody a debit card? She's just one of many essential healthcare workers battling her employer for her rights and welfare. Aiden Kent has this story on Lost Pay. I started to volunteer in hospice because I knew how important it was to provide a loving environment for aging people. So when I got the assignment for this story and I called Marisol Garcia, I knew I'd just met a kindred spirit. Marisol isn't her real name. Her name and the names of other people in this story have been changed for their protection. Her story is still an open case pending legal action. Marisol is an in-home care worker for aging folks. She lives in Waukegan, Illinois. She adores her job, and she's a fiery advocate for herself and for her clients. She treats her clients like family because often... Their families aren't around, don't visit them, or won't call. She's worked almost full-time for the same home care company since 2003, and she has three clients that she absolutely loves. Her work usually consists of cooking for her clients, taking them shopping, bathing them, and giving them their meds. Since Marisol started with her company 17 years ago, there hasn't been too much change. Just a few small wage bumps. Until mid-March of this year. The U.S. now has more than 100,000 COVID-19 cases. That's nearly 20,000 more new coronavirus patients than in Italy, which is the second worst affected country. Illinois now has more than a thousand cases of the coronavirus and this weekend the state began enforcing a strict stay-at-home order. Joining us now from Chicago is the governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker. Seniors governor, over the age of 65, our parents and our grandparents are in the high-risk group, especially those in assisted living right, facilities. Millions of Americans rely on home health aides and now those aides are more important than ever. Yeah, they sure are. Seniors who can't make it to the hospital or a doctor's office are being cared for by professionals who come to the house. But there are some new questions tonight about the process. When the novel coronavirus hit the states in early March, Marisol said her facility was pretty well stocked with PPE for her and other essential workers. They put out a standard but pretty detailed guide that included safety protocols and privacy policies for both the client and the caretaker in case either got sick. At the time it was released, there was no sick pay policy, just a line saying that anyone who gets sick should contact the head of risk management in the company. About a month in, those safety nets started to slip. Over the next three months, the compassion and care Marisol dedicates to her clients gets thrown back in her face, and she doesn't feel so essential.
So it's April 8th, and it's Marisol's day off. She's asthmatic and needed to go to the doctor to get her inhaler. On the way, she swings by her office because she's forgotten something. She walks in, and her supervisor, Helen, is standing there. She asks her what's going on, what she's doing. Marisol tells her she's going to the doctor, but Helen presses her, asking if she's feeling sick. Marisol tells her no, but she sends Marisol to the hospital anyway to get tested for the virus. Marisol heads to North Shore Hospital in Gurney. The doctor administers the testing, and of course she tests negative. Marisol emails Helen on the way home from the hospital. Helen shoots her an email back, telling her just to be safe, she should stay home in quarantine anyway. Something about all of it feels a little off. Marisol calls her friend and coworker Paula Reyes. Paula and Marisol met after they both joined SEIU Healthcare Illinois in Indiana, or the Service Employees International Union for Healthcare Workers. In this call, Marisol lets Paula know what's going on. Paula tells her it does smell fishy, so she texts Marisol a phone number. Talk to Henry, she says. He can help. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. Happy wage increase day. Hey, thank you, thank you. This is Henry Antonoff. Again, not his real name. He's an organizer with SEIU Healthcare Illinois in Indiana. He's super knowledgeable about union history in the Midwest, and he kept telling me how grateful he is to be helping Spanish speakers organize using language skills he picked up decades ago. Many, 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 many years ago, uh, when I was in the healthcare industry, I was actually uh, in pharmacy school, that I had an opportunity to go to the Dominican Republic, where I learned to speak Spanish, and I think it was an, I know it was an experience that changed my life. When she gets home that afternoon on the 8th, Marisol calls Henry. Henry tells her not to worry. The law should be on her side, especially since her company were the ones who asked her to stay home even though she wasn't sick. Reminder, there's no sick bay policy. But it doesn't sound like Marisol has much of a choice. So she quarantines in her home for the next eight days, unpaid and unable to be with her favorite clients. And she waits. She worried that her worst nightmare was coming true, that she'd lose all these hours and the company wouldn't pay her. It was the worst-case scenario. On Thursday, April 16th, Marisol wakes up feeling healthy as ever. She figures it's been long enough and she has no symptoms, so she goes back to the doctor and tests negative for COVID-19. Her doctor gives her the all-clear to go back to work on that Monday. Monday is the 20th of April. And Marisol's first day back is good. She's so happy to be with her clients again. They've missed her. Everything's fine with her first two clients, but that afternoon, she starts to feel not great. Uh, 
Marisol's head is suddenly pounding. She gets lightheaded and hot. Her throat is scratching. She calls to make an appointment with her doctor for that afternoon. When she gets there, the nurses take her temperature at 101 degrees. They tell her she can't see the doctor until she gets tested. She waits at home for her test results. Then her phone rings. Marisol had tested positive for the coronavirus. She is terrified for her family, and she has no idea how she'll pay her bills. Marisol's contract with her company only gives her a week of paid vacation, and she doesn't get any paid sick leave. Her company won't let her come to work sick, so Marisol quarantines at home for the next three weeks. We did talk on the phone. It was awful. Uh, she was really struggling to breathe. Uh, you know, could say a few words, catch your breath, say a few words. I am 38 years old, and I had COVID-19. That's Amanda Antoine. She's a manager of a medical clinic in a small Ontario town, and she shared her story about being sick with coronavirus with the Globe and Mail on April 28th. I was very stiff. Um, I slept a lot, headache, horrible headache. I did have fever and chills and night sweats, abdominal pain, uh, very nauseous. I didn't eat hardly anything in the, the two weeks that I was ill. It was awful. It, it, it felt awful. Uh, the shortness of breath kind of was, was, was quite scary because it, it, it was strong. It felt like someone was sitting on my chest. It was heavy. When I took a deep breath, I couldn't open my lungs all the way to get a good, refreshing breath in. I tried everything in my power not to get it. It just, it happens. Twenty-one days later, around May 11th, Marisol starts to feel better. Her doctor clears her to go back to work. Her first day back, she's so excited. She's feeling healthy and she's ready to be back. The way Marisol clocks in and out of each shift is the same way that I did it when I worked in home care. There's a scheduling app on your phone, and at the end of your shift, you add any notes to the patient's file, and then you clock out, and you're taken back to your schedule for the day. It usually shows you your next client. So she goes to clock out of her second client that day when she notices something. Her third client is just gone. So she calls the office. She asks what's going on, where's my client? Her supervisor, Helen, tells her that the client didn't want to see her anymore. Marisol presses Helen. Why, she asks her. Helen tells her bluntly, we told them you were sick and they didn't want to keep working with you. Marisol's company had violated their own privacy policy. And without any notice, she was now out of shift with no promise that those hours or pay would be recovered in any way. But she needs the money. She's been trying to get full-time ever since she started in 2003. And now she's further than ever. 
Later that week, Mari Sol tries to get more information from Helen and recover some of her hours. Un día me, me llamó para decirme que tenía un cliente con tres horas nada más para un día hasta Fox Lake. Helen tells her the only thing she has is a client in Fox Lake. Fox Lake is about three times as long of a drive in both directions more than Marisol is used to. But Helen says it's all they have. Marisol can't take the extra driving or gas costs and turns it down. That week, she finds out through co-workers that the company has been hiring new people. Marisol keeps seeing her two regular clients. But in June, the protective equipment starts to run low. She has to drive to the office every week to get a five-ounce ration of sanitizer. Suddenly, she's only allowed one mask per client per day. The gowns are gone and the gloves are running out too. She says it's like they've gone to war and their company has given them the pistol but forgotten to give them the bullets. And she still hasn't seen any pay for the week that she was told to go home when she wasn't sick or for the three weeks when she was. She says she wishes that the company would have more of a conscience that this is their job and offer them the protections that they need to get through this. Especially in this moment, more than any. I asked her how many hours and money she thinks she lost from that time. About 160 hours, well over $1,000, just missing. When she sees she still hasn't gotten paid, Marisol calls Helen again, but she can't offer any answers. At this point, Marisol is feeling helpless. So she enlists Henry again. She tells him what's been going on. When I get a call from a worker like this, knowing that our grievance staff do not have a lot of Spanish speakers, uh, that I tend to kind of step in and get as much information as I can. Henry gets in touch with the company and starts to advocate on Marisol's behalf. We as the union had begun to have what we call these labor management committee meetings. Normally, Henry says it's super hard to get decision makers in the room when he's doing his union work. And processing workplace grievances with companies is a really slow process. But the boom of Zoom and other video chatting tech during coronavirus means that for the first time in his organizing career, he's instantly able to talk directly to executive leaders without all the red tape. Determine if uh, she would be able to get any kind of uh, lost time. They start investigating Marisol's issues. Everything was looking good. They were making progress. Was we were able to get a number of commitments from the company. Uh, uh, it was guaranteed uh, as long as the PA got the virus from someone she was caring for. In other words, through her client. Starting in late June, Marisol has been able to pick up extra hours and refill her schedule thanks to a co-worker being on vacation. But she comes back in the middle of July, and after that, well, neither Henry nor Marisol know what will happen. Let's say um, I'm a caregiver and the family doesn't want me coming in to take care for their senior, their loved one, right, because they're afraid I might give them the coronavirus. 
the company has no money for me. If I don't get unemployment somehow, I'm screwed. And so we've been fighting with these companies to get what we are now calling pandemic pay. All Marisol wants from this situation is her lost time paid back and her schedule returned to full time so that she can survive the rest of the pandemic. But the second week of July, things get weirder and even more complicated. Marisol is at work, and she gets a phone call from her office to drop everything and head in. When she gets there, the only person who seems to be around is the receptionist. Marisol tells her why she's there and asks to see Helen or her manager. The receptionist tells Marisol they aren't there, even though Helen was the one who had called her. The receptionist hands Marisol a blank envelope. Inside is a loan debit card. She tells Marisol there's 38 hours worth of pay on it. <laughs> I'm just like, how in the hell do you send somebody a debit card? How, how, is that, how are those hours accounted for? She's super confused. It doesn't even cover half of the 160 hours she thinks she's owed. Marisol asks the receptionist what's going on. Who it came from and if there are any taxes taken out already, she tells Marisol she doesn't have any more information. It was totally bizarre. Since when does a company cut from their accounting department a credit card? So I asked Henry where the money came from. He said he still wasn't sure. Those offices are a crapshoot. Uh, the administrators run from very helpful uh, with their employees. Uh, run a tight ship to, I'll just say, are a real piece of work. Marisol told me she took her vacation time back in February, so they didn't take it from there. They must have invented some kind of sick pay policy and didn't tell her about it. When she called Helen this past week, Helen said she didn't have any new information. And now, Marisol says that Helen is denying that she even told her to go to the hospital in the first place. She says it's her word against Helen's. She claimed that there was an error, that they thought it was vacation time, and, and she had not taken vacation. They named April as the vacation time. It's not even the pay they had promised her. Right now, Marisol says she feels betrayed. She's interested in finding a new company to work for, where she might be treated better. But she's waiting until she gets paid what she believes she's owed to make the move so that she can keep the pressure on her company to resolve her pay. Marisol says even though she and her co-workers love their clients, her colleagues are experiencing similar situations and they're scared to go public. 
This company is huge. They have over 20,000 employees nationally. No estoy sola. No estoy sola, sinceramente. As of right now, Marisol is talking to lawyers. Henry is trying to push her case within SEIU to get additional resources. On Tuesday, July 14th, he tried to call executives at Marisol's company about the debit card, but they refused to talk to him about it. They still haven't recovered her lost pay or time. She is caring for some of the most vulnerable people in our society. Despite the fact that she knew that there was danger involved, she continued to go. She continued to suit up. She continued to do her job. Uh, and then when she lost her job due to the virus and couldn't get her hours back, I just felt that how unjust it all was. It's injusto. Marisol tells me she wants other workers to know that they're not alone. She says, I want to support you in what's happening. She knows how difficult it can be, especially with the kinds of companies that they're dealing with. If you were with her, she would refer you to someone who could help you, the Department of Labor, for example. She would give you the phone numbers of people who could take action, help you get justice, and recover the things that you had lost. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with a pay issue or something else. Someone has to take action. I know from my experience as a hospice companion that caring for aging folks is an act of compassion and love. So why are the people who care for them not being treated with the same respect? I'm Aiden Kent with Hope from the Front Lines. Thank you for joining Hope from the Front Lines. Our series is produced by Juneteenth Productions with funding support from the McCormick Foundation. Join us next week for another story of struggle, passion, and strength from essential caregivers of color protecting Chicago's most vulnerable during this COVID-19 pandemic. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever podcasts can be found. Do you have a story to share? Join us in the ongoing conversation on our Facebook page, Hope from the Front Lines.